<laughs> Welcome in, everybody, to Victory Sunday Night. My name is Andrew. I'm joined by Brad Ward, Jake Burns, and we are here to celebrate the Cleveland Browns, a team, a football team that may never lose again. Uh, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 13-10 to 10 today, and um, I don't know. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. What about you guys? It's up there. I mean, I had kids, and those were close. I mean, it's probably in front of having kids. Yeah. So yeah. It's the same, same thing. I'm sure my wife would agree with me on that. No, it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome, right? Uh, a, a really, a, at times, you guys would agree, I'm sure, frustrating moments in that game and some moments sure. of despair where you're like, I don't really know how they're going to get this one done, giving up that lead, yeah. which we'll dive into all those details. But, yeah, mm -hmm. it was, again, a roller coaster of emotions that, that sort of describes Cleveland Browns football perfectly. But – I'll tell you what your Browns are doing, man. And we haven't seen this much since 1999. They're finding their way through the dark moments to the to the victory that, again, just hasn't been a part of who they've been. It, it could just be maturity from some of these guys who have been around for a while. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what to put on the pulse of that, but they're doing it. You're living in those moments with them, and they're 7-3, and three, and that's unique and cool, and it's really, really awesome, man. Yeah, it has a uh, kind of this season with a lot left has a magical feel to it so mm -hmm. far. It just kind of has a, um, you know, a magic feel. They they pull it out like I thought this one, they were really in the weeds here at 10-10 and uh, how they were going to find a way to win this one. But, you know, once again, when it counts most, they came up big and they just continue to do that week in, week out. Um, and the more you do that, you know, the more confident you feel in those situations, I think, as a team, right? The crazy thing is they're, they're doing it with a different quarterback like every week, which is right. even crazier. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, certainly an un unbelievable feeling. You know, we saw that, you know, first time ever beating the Ravens and Steelers back-to-back -back weeks. I mean, all that stuff is incredible. should enjoy this very, very much if you're a Browns fan. Uh, awesome day. You know, I was just writing about kind of like today uh, and things I think I know about today, like at the yard at, or at the uh, stadium, the yard, the stadium. Um, the old ballpark. At the old ballpark. Well, they are uh, dogs, so they would yeah. be in a yard. You know? Yeah, they'd be fenced in. That's right. Yeah, okay. In. At the yard. We can call it the yard. <laughs> uh, at the yard, uh, you know, Jimmy Donovan, mm -hmm. Nick Chubb. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it just kind of lined up for a beautiful uh, win. Not yeah. beautiful <laughs> on the field, but a beautiful in the sense of that they walked it off against uh, the two most hated rivals back-to-back. -back. And they're seven and freaking three, man. This football team is seven and three. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I think, you know, you, you go back to, to 2020, Jake, to your point about the way they're doing this. You go back to 2020, and it's the same sort of feeling in terms of finding a way to win games, but it's different because – They've done this essentially without a quarterback for some of these games, right? They have had they've had multiple games where they're they're getting almost nothing from the quarterback position and still finding a way to win. In 2020, you know, Baker Mayfield was maybe not setting the world on fire, but he played some really good football, uh, you know, in that season. Yeah. And the second half was particularly stellar from him. Right, exactly. Your, exactly. Your yeah, point. once once he he had that Bengals game walk off to DPJ or whatever it was, you know, that 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 game-winning drive. 
Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of started racking victories. And then I, I know that, you know, there was some some COVID stuff late with that Jets game or whatever. But the, I think the point is, is that they, you saw pieces coming together. This team, yep. they keep losing pieces. Stuff keeps falling off the truck every week. Yep. And they just keep winning despite the, you know, the, the cupboard being pretty bare on offense at this point. And I think you felt that often today, right? Where you... You know, I, I remember watching it a few times and just thinking, like, I, I you know, they can't go to Cooper on every play. Najoku's not catching the ball. <laughs> so who yeah. who do you trust in a, in a third and five situation right now if you're the Browns? And it felt like there wasn't really an answer. And that was so disheartening because, again, you think about the players that aren't on the field. You know, I mean, I guess on the offense, it's really just in terms of skill players, it's just Nick Chubb. The other injuries are on the offensive line. But it just felt like they didn't – they weren't able to get to a point of having – reliable answers offensively from their skill position players that would help the quarterback out of jams. And, you know, again, you go back to 2020, it felt like that showed up more times, whether it was Jarvis Landry or Kareem Hunt when he was a different player or Nick Chubb. It felt like they had more weapons in the arsenal this year. It's really, it's MacGyver stuff. It's gum and paper clips and, you know, they're barely keeping the thing afloat, but they are, and they're seven and three. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think about this in terms of, you know, that that moment in your life, whether it's you know a relationship or a job or whatever, and you 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 kind of feel like maybe you lucked into it a little bit, but at a certain point you have to decide to just enjoy it. You can't keep thinking when's the other shoe going to drop. You just have to say, I guess this is my life now. I guess I'm just the happiest sob on the planet, and I think that's where Browns <laughs> fans are. Yeah, they're seven yeah. and three with. The you know third quarterback that's gotten a, rin, a win, offensive line injuries, et cetera, et cetera. They've got one of the best defenses of the past twenty years. It's just real. It's just real now. So I, I think you know. Let's talk though before we just because I'll just keep gushing. Let's let's talk about. I want to talk about the third quarter, not to bring the mood down, but just to talk about what an uphill battle this was. Because I, the question I have for you, Jake, is that it felt to me watching the the TV, you know, just just watching it live, that the Steelers knew what was coming on almost every play, and it got to the point where I know you tweeted this during the game. They had seven consecutive offensive plays that went for a zero or negative yardage, something like that. They were stuck in the mud to an, such an extent that it looked like they were playing themselves on defense. That's how that's how good the Steelers' defense looked at times. And what I want to ask you is. How much of that is a product of the quarterback not being able to get the ball to to maybe some answers that are downfield? or And how much of that was Stefanski not giving him those options? And I know you're watching TV copy just like the rest of us, but do you have any yeah. sort of a feel for – a lot of those were checkdowns, right? So, like, Great how question. much of that is on the young quarterback for not trying to push the ball? Yep. Well, probably a, a, lo- a good amount. I mean, again, though, you know, we're talking – I think you're making a good point about who do we throw it to. I think Pittsburgh played them pretty well. Uh, I think you talked about this in our lead up Saturday that like, they're just kind of disrespected across the league. Like the names, you know, they don't have Minka Fitzpatrick, right? They don't have some elements of the defense that has made them pretty good over there, but they're still really well coached. And I think that Stefanski, I'll give Tomlin credit. I think he's got a pretty good feel for what Kevin wants to do. And they, they really make life difficult on the Browns. Obviously, having Nick over the years allows you to get out of some sticky situations, right? But I think 
we all have to step back that third quarter, which is again really frustrating. There was like 21 plays and 23 yards. I mean, it was actually getting downright laughable at times, like a JV versus varsity moment where, oh, there's negative two. Oh, there's a negative one. Oh, there's negative four. It was just overwhelming. I, I don't. The answer to your, your the root of your question, I think DTR wanted to get rid of the football quick. The focal point for me, um, based on what I have seen from the data, which tells us he had one of the lowest, uh, you know, a dot average distance of target in a long time. It was not very good that they wanted to relieve the burden the same way they did the week before on the tackles. And that meant trying to get the football out quickly, although Pittsburgh doesn't necessarily fall into the Baltimore spot drop mold and they don't make you um, beat them short versions of the field. So they will compress it, compact it and make you hit windows, typically cover two or cover six windows up the sideline. Some seam throws you can make like you have to be pretty consistent to beat Pittsburgh and you have to hit some difficult throws. They're going to challenge you to make some of those difficult throws. So, uh, you know, the, the biggest issue is the run game. And I feel like when I was watching it, the backside was causing more issues than the front side which was causing a lot of things to get run down and, and, and result in like one zero negative uh, as they tried to get up field. So I didn't like that. But as far as the quarterback, we'll have to, again, you said it, but we'll have to watch downfield to see what was there. But I, but I do think the teaching coaching focal point for this week was we're going to continue to try to get rid of the football quick. We're also going to try to take care of it like crazy. And usually as a quarterback, if your internal clock is going to be quick because a, you're, starting your second game in the league B you know about who these edge players are for Pittsburgh and C you don't want to take any negative plays or turn it over you're going to find checkdown so the hope for me is as you go out and play Denver not as dominant a pass rush a team that you should be able to run the football on more is that they'll have some avenues to more success whereas Pittsburgh knows them well condenses the field on them and um, you know again Dorian is just it's a huge moment and I hope that he can just take a step back, relax and try to make some of those. We want you to try to throw some of those downfield, man. Like you really can't play afraid. And I thought when they got out at 10, nothing at the half, they kind of played in a way that was, we're not going to give the game away on it. We've seen this happen. We don't want to give this thing away on offense. And I think that shrunk everything on the field in in a pretty significant amount. So again, Monday's chalk talk will tell us the, the true detail, but watching it live that's the feeling i got and i wasn't upset at the passing game i thought they just had to run it better and they did run it relatively fine in the first half so it was sort of befuddling why they could not figure out any path to positive yardage in the run game so that's what i'm going to be focusing on a a pretty significant amount i felt it felt like ford made a couple good moves in the first half and maybe uh did some uh, individual stuff that helped the run game a little bit, maybe early in the game. He had a nice little spin move, got down. Uh, I was going to ask you, though, um, I tweeted it out, and I think probably he's running through everybody's mind at the same time, very much along, along the same lines as Andrew's question. But, like, you know, it, it became clear that they were, you know, sitting on everything underneath, right, uh, the short throws, as you're saying, trying to make difficult there isn't a way but everybody's going you know double move max protect double move you know make them pay for it at least stretch you know get take a shot down the field maybe get a pi or something uh what are your thoughts on that i mean it, it, didn't it feel yeah, like I, that was called for at some point it, it did i kind of thought that if you i mean i know that not everybody listens to what we say for the week leading up but i did think that there were setups for double moves kind of building because I think we saw what we were expecting, Andrew, which was a lot of condensed second-level defense from Pittsburgh 
to try mm-hmm. to take away the ease of throws to David as best they could. I mean, hell, I, I haven't really, I don't have it up in front of me, but I think David had like 13 or 14 targets and six yeah. catches. Yeah. Some of those were self-inflicted wounds where he dropped it, but sorry, 15 targets, seven catches. He made that nice one in the final drive. Uh, they certainly wanted to make those easy. The Browns try to spread you out in empty or in two by two and take advantage of easy spacing throws. And they were determined not to let that happen. And I just didn't think the Browns had an answer off of that as often as they needed to. I would love for them to run some like slant returns or sluggos more often. Uh, any kind of double move, like a like a hit and go if, uh, off of like a play action. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of options out there. I, I don't certainly don't want them taking sacks and negatives, but I mm-hmm. thought they could could maybe mix in a couple of those. And I would say, two is like they could have, and we didn't see it. So that that's right. what I want to be careful of. <clears throat> yep. There's a chance they did that stuff, and you didn't get to see it. But yeah, nonetheless. That third quarter was frustrating. The start of the fourth quarter, especially, I'm sure you guys would agree with me, and I want to throw this back to you, Andrew. The pendulum of that game was the punting on both sides. Like, the Browns got those two early possessions off of bad punts. One, a good return from Prochet, then a shank from, um, I can't remember the young man's name who punts for Pittsburgh. Harvin, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So so there were two drives the Browns started essentially in Pittsburgh territory and could not get a point on the board. And at those moments, I'm thinking, that's it. Like, you had to score on one Mm -hmm. of those drives, Mm -hmm. and you didn't. And then Pittsburgh gets it in in off of uh, one, uh, I think, a healthy return. Sorry, it was an inter. How did they get those two? They had two late possessions, Pittsburgh did. Yeah, Bohorka shanked one, too. They took Bohorka shanked one that went out of the midfield. Yeah. And then they had another one. I think the second one was actually a decent putt, but but Austin returned it out to like the 35, I think, or something like that. So. I, I, those two possessions by the defense, especially that first one where there was no margin for error, mm-hmm. I think that they ended up giving like like eight yards up or something. But those yep. two drives, I'm sure you guys were sitting there feeling like me where the Browns had their two, couldn't exactly. do anything with it. Here yep. comes Pittsburgh on their side of the, the field. It's, it's 10-10. They're going to kick a field goal, and we're going to watch the Browns limp around and not be able to figure this out. And they didn't. They got off the field both times, the second time in like 40 seconds to get them the ball back with a minute 28 left, and then they go in. Like yeah. that's stuff from the defense, and I know you and I have talked about this. All three of us have talked about this. That's the winning juice. Like we're, you know, we we said, well, you know, the Seahawks game, they they gave up that late one. They, those two, and I know Pittsburgh is working on figuring out the forward pass. I don't know if that'll happen for them at some point. The schedule probably gives them a chance to figure that out. But I just. I just couldn't help but think in those moments, like, yeah, they gave up a, the huge play right. to to the start the second half. And there were moments of like, oh, God, they gave that one up. But that's the big stuff, Andrew. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's what makes a defense. Like, you, you're called – the Browns are the best defense in the NFL. There's no wiggle room on that now. There's just no, no wiggle room on it. So, that's yeah, yeah, because I mean, because... I'm giving you a chance to react to that, but I thought those two <laughs> moments between the offense and defense yeah. were so important. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, the the – Defense was in a position in the second half where they they basically had to know that they couldn't afford to give up points, right? They they were in a position where the offense was struggling so much that the defense went onto the field every time, knowing if we give up a touchdown here, we're likely going to lose this game, you know, because that was the that was the feel, and I I think that's true. I think the the ability to hold them to a field goal on on that on that one drive uh, probably is the difference between the game because I as as well as DTR did on that last drive to get the field goal, I don't think he's getting all the way to the end zone there. So the the defense was put kind of, as you said, in impossible situations again and again, and they came up big. 
I, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, as far as what you said, that they are absolutely the best defense. And I think what struck me was that they, this was the, like, this was the opposite of a defensive performance that the Steelers do most weeks where they play okay, but then they bail themselves out again and again with big turnovers. So they, they cr- create a better defensive performance by getting their hands on the ball. The Browns did all of this and didn't get a turnover, right? So like they suffocated them, obviously should have had a safety on the first uh, play of the game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the Steelers and didn't, which is a, a mind-blowing uh, missed call by the officials. But mm-hmm. the the Browns defense did all of that and and they there were negative plays in terms of sacks and tackles for loss, but they didn't force a turnover. They didn't really, they didn't force a ton of negative plays. It was mostly just by getting off the field on third down. And we, we talked about this last week, Jake. Their ability week in and week out to get off the field on third down, i that's the part, when you talk about them being clearly the best defense, that's the part to me that sets them apart, is that I don't think any team in, in that I can remember has been so consistent about just getting off the field when the opportunity presents itself. Everybody's going to remember the third and whatever it was screen that they gave up to, to Jalen Warren. I think that was in the first half. But, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. The, the Steelers were probably about three of 12. On on four, uh, third and fourth down, so three of three of fourteen. There you go. So uh, yeah, it's just it, for that to continue week after week is is it shows you how little it's driven by luck because it keeps happening. So yeah, it's it's incredible that they're able to hey, do Andrew, it. Here's yeah. another thing. Yeah, I was just going to shout out Warpath here with five gifted subs. Yeah, thanks, thanks, that's Warpath. awesome. Thanks, man. We appreciate. Go we ahead, appreciate Jake. that. Yeah, no, seventy three plays to fifty seven. So hey, yeah, you know, there you go. Like. The formula is to play 20 more plays of offense every game, Mm -hmm. create more opportunities. The Browns went for a yard less per play, but you know what we talked about? The Browns formula has been finding one more drive a game than their opposition. Mm -hmm. And guess what they found today? One more drive with a minute 28 left than the opposition, and they won. It is actually, and I I shout out again, I think it was Mike Clark, I can't remember the name, who gave us that mailbag question this week. They again are going to be about 13. I don't let's I'll count it up when I shut up, but like I think they probably had 13 drives. And that again is like this, this unique formula of running a drive and a half or two more than the opponent they play every week because they know the unique thing about this year is right. Three different quarterbacks have led this team to late come from behind victories or at least last fourth quarter drives to win the game, which is unheard of special mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. but the formula is wild that they're able to play 20 more plays on average a game which ultimately leads to like a drive and a half more per game and that's how they're making up for a not a very efficient offense because of all the obvious elements right tackles and quarterbacks and running backs mm-hmm. and all of it and i i'm i hope that so we need to address that with the coaching staff and kind of, I don't want them to give away their secret sauce, but it has <laughs> to be something they're discussing internally. Right. Like it just, yeah. it's not it has accident. to be a part of how they know they have to win. It's not mm-hmm. an accident. That's right. Yeah. Brad, I know you had something. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to comment on the defense at the end there and, and how often, even in like every Sunday in every game you watch, you watch defenses in that situation where the opponent gets the ball at the 40 yard line late in a game 
mm-hmm. because of the style of defense you're forced to play there because of a close game, it just lends itself to giving up that yardage that gets you into field goal range, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I want to note, like, a couple weeks back, Schwartz in a presser talking about after the uh, Seattle game and after the 49ers game saying, you know, we realize that this can't happen. We're going to do some different things late in the game um, and being candid about it. And it feels like, and I'll be interested to see what, you, what you're what you doing, but it feels like they are relying very, very much on their corners in those situations. Like, uh, uh, like they're showing a lot of blitz zero and then either dropping out of it or actually sending it and then relying on their corners, I feel like, to get off the field in situations like that. And I think not giving and sitting back in zone like a lot of teams will because they're afraid to give up the big play there is making a huge difference for them to get off the field. I'll be interested to see what you see on the tape. But Yeah, I actually was interested in what Pickett said after the game. Um, and again, it it could look man-to-manish, but then when they zoom in on the line, I, I say this every week, they zoom in on the line and the quarterback, you can't see anything downfield. He said that they played a lot of zone and they were expecting man and that they didn't adjust out of it. So perhaps they were giving, this is what the Browns really need to do. They need to give man indicators and then be able to play zone off of their man indicator. So I personally think if that's the case, once we break down the film, that that is a really unique thing that they should a be able to do because it will seriously confuse quarterbacks. Because what do you get when it's man defense guys, you see like walk down mug players, right? over top of who they're covering. It's usually not very hard to decipher, but if you can give some looks that typically look like man and then be able to drop zone, like that's the next step, in my opinion, of the evolution of Schwartz taking this to another level. They've been good in man. They're getting better in zone. Now, how do you make the two look similar without mm-hmm. giving yourself vulnerability? Mm-hmm. Sure. And yeah. that is Especially- good, that will be the good stuff especially now that they're 10 weeks into the season and they've got a ton of tape out there about what they like to do. But if they can, if they can dress that up and add that as a change up down the stretch, when teams think they've got them scouted really well, that evolves them. Like you said, evolves them into their next form, right? Which could be even stronger because now, you know, if you're getting unexpected zone looks, the pass rush should have a lot more opportunities to get home than they did today against a, a quarterback who was trying to get the ball out really quickly. Even if there wasn't a receiver in the area often, um, on that topic, I want to talk about the defense. So, so here's my premise last week. The excitement of that was that Deshaun Watson was back and that raises your ceiling to the point that you can go to the playoffs and compete and potentially win trophies, right? We all kind of got to a place Wednesday through the end of the week where it's like, okay, that's off the table for us now because. We, we just aren't going to, you know, we don't have that same sort of offensive ceiling. Watching the, and I know it's the Steelers, and I know that their quarterback is, you know, really struggling, especially, you know, against this. But the Steelers' offense overall, I made this point, you know, leading up to the game, the Steelers' offense has been better since their bye week, and they, they really suffocated them. And again, it's the same recipe of getting off the field on third down, the play differential. So my question is, uh, and Brad, I'll go to you first, what is the ceiling of this Browns team with this defense? Because it kind of feels like in a one game elimination playoff that they can beat any team on the planet 
you know, and, and pitch a shutout. I mean, I, you know, I know that's crazy to say about a playoff team, but the, the Steelers are six and three and it found a way to get this done. And it, to Jake's point, this, the Browns defense, when they absolutely had to, didn't allow them to gain yards, like period. They just were basically, it was like playing against a brick wall. So to me, that just makes me wonder if you run into a team that has obvious weaknesses, like for example, the Jaguars, we're going to see them in a few weeks, but you'd see them in the playoffs and they really struggle to run the ball. The, it feels to me like the Browns defense could single-handedly win a game or two like that in the playoffs. Am I crazy to think that? No, I don't think you're crazy at all. I, I you know, of course, the uh, everybody took on that that thought uh, of Watson and the ceiling wiped out yep. there, right? But I guess I never, I never really, uh, I didn't buy into that as much. I guess I, I didn't look at it as it has to be Watson or they don't have a chance to go deep in the playoffs or make noise. I think that I am looking at this team more than ever, Andrew, Jake, as like in a week-to-week process. That's just the way you have to approach this team, Mm -hmm. I think. Week-to-week from week one till now, they're just managing it on a week-to-week basis. And they're saying, okay, what do we have to do this week? Who do we have to play at quarterback this week? What plan do we have to put together to win this week? Now, if you follow that and you get, somehow you know a decent court and enough quarterback play yeah you can win playoff games that way we see it happen all the time there's ugly dirt you know rock fight playoff games all the time and the browns can turn a game into that they certainly can win it that's how they're winning these games so um and, and when they've had to score lots of points they found a way to do that too so i don't think we know their ceiling. I don't think we know it. I am not deterred off of their ability to advance in the playoffs just because I think they have uh, some special players on both sides of the ball that have shown that they can make individual plays, Amari Cooper, David Njoku on offense, guys like that, uh, in big moments, and the defense will keep you in a game. Yeah, I, I think the the week to week point, Brad, is is great. Um, in in terms of the, it's something that Kevin Stefanski has preached right for for a while. But the 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 extent to which the team is bought in, I think, is the impressive part, right? And yeah. and Jake, I, that that make kind of reminds me of another kind of question here about big picture stuff. Is like we're at the point now where the culture that Kevin Stefanski is instilling is kind of contagious, right? Because these guys really go into these games expecting to find a way. It's obvious. It's obvious they know what they're fighting against. It's obvious they know the disadvantages that are in front of them, and they're playing off of it. I mean, you you, you look at the Jets, and what's all too what's the, what's so different from the Jets, right? Like right. they have a really good defense, and you know they laid a, an egg tonight against uh, against Buffalo. But you can tell that the Browns are bought into the formula. It's not a go out there and I know our offense isn't going to play well, so we have to we have to press or we have to try to make play. I just think they're feeding off of each other in a, in a really, you know, compelling, uh, and, and, and I think it's, I'm not sure the word off the top of my head, but there's just a buy-in. There's a buy-in to the way, and they have a belief, a buy-in and belief. And I think that that can carry you when you're that talented for a good amount of time. Now they're going to run into somebody who's going to be good. And, you know, I, I think that the quarterback play is going to eventually derail them. It just, you know, I'm, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. It's just yeah. the, the fact of the matter. Now, can, they sign no there's two routes here can they mm-hmm. sign joe flacco right. this week and get some just raise the basement joe's not going to do anything to the ceiling but can he raise the basement and then or can dorian step forward in a very positive way and 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 that's what they're going to experiment with 
the defense will keep them in games. The defense is going to make them a championship uh, contender in the division. Do I think they go very far outside of that? I don't, guys, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Right. They have dealt with it. They've been given a shorthand in a lot of different. They're overcoming a lot. They're overcoming a lot, but eventually mm -hmm. you need. We've, we've seen evidence of it over and over again. They don't even have San Francisco Jimmy Garoppolo stuff going on here. So, yeah. like, they don't have any of that. So, and we can, I'm really happy for Dorian. I'm very happy for him. And I'm, 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 I'm really pumped, but that was ugly for stretches of this game mm -hmm. that I know you guys would agree with me when they actually had to drop back and throw like, Hey, it's third and eight, sit in there and make a throw. Wouldn't happen very often, but he's young. And they, there's, like I said, there's two avenues to this. They either see it through and keep letting him get exposed to more playing time, more playing time, more playing time, or they try to bring in, Flacco this week or somebody else and try to like, Hey, over the next three weeks, we're going to bring another person along and, and, and try to raise the basement. I I'm just saying if they haven't signed Flacco, I'm not saying that it feels like they're in that direction after the, after the game here, but like, I'm just giving my thought on the quarterback situation. So I think any given week they can go in and play with anybody, but they are going to run into some of the really, really good quarterbacks at times. And I think that eventually that's just going to derail them. But that doesn't mean that the season isn't successful or something. Like again, the the, the Jaguars made a run. What year was that? 1819. Something was the year that Keenum and a whole bunch yeah. of weird quarterbacks. Right. Like they made a run despite Blake Bortles, but eventually it caught up with them because right. it's Blake Bortles. Like right. you're going to have that catch up with you at some point. But the ride along the way. The unexpected journey, the stuff we're sitting here talking about right now, it's the good stuff, man. That's what makes football still worth playing, despite the news you get on Tuesday that Deshaun is done for the year out of nowhere, and it's a real gut punch. But then you see them fighting to overcome and persevere, and it's like, this is why we still care. This mm -hmm. is, You still care, despite maybe, maybe you know where the train stops, but we still care. And I think that that's what they're doing a great job of making that fun. Well, and I, and I think my point with that, and I, Brad, I'll go right back to you. My point with that is just that I think even in the situation where they did make a run in the playoffs, playing a team like the Chiefs, for example, I would believe that the Browns could shut him down. Like the, 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 the Chiefs offense has not been world beaters. So even if I went into that game knowing they're underdogs and they're up against it, you could paint a picture for how they would get it done against him. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make about this unit is there's not a point at which you say, all right, stop, you're being unrealistic now. There's nothing I don't think they could do if they play their best ball on, on a week-in, week-out. Go ahead, Brad. I was literally going to say the same thing. I was just going to say, I would just push back a little bit just in that, in the AFC right now, I there's just not anybody that's playing that great of football in the AFC right now that you can't say, wow, if on, on any given Sunday, there's a path to victory somehow, right? Like mm -hmm. for, for a team with this kind of defense and maybe you, hopefully you get a quarterback playing better than you have right now uh, come that time. So I, I'm not willing to say we know for sure the train stops here yet. Of I'm, of course I'm, I'm, you know, you're much more realistic than I am, and I'm probably being an optimist in that in that way. But uh, I, I do look around the AFC and say, you know, the Chiefs' offense hasn't been amazing this year. They they're relying on their defense more than ever, right? And mm -hmm. um, you know, the Bills are struggling, and yeah, I mean, there just seems to be like I don't, I don't think I'm not really scared of anybody in the AFC right now. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of the point. It's just that I think it's 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 fun to be in a position where the Browns truly feel like they have a trump card, right? That like if things bounce their way on a on a on a day, that defense can can pitch a shutout against any team in the NFL. And I, I genuinely believe that. I know that's a crazy thing to say, but I do believe it. Yeah. Um all right, Jake, you brought up Joe Flacco. People have been asking about it in the comments a lot. I don't really want to get into like a whole Joe Flacco debate. I don't think that's very interesting. Uh, so I'll frame it more generally. I don't think you can bench a quarterback that's just won a game against a division rival. So I think DTR has to get the start in Denver, in my opinion. But I also think it makes sense for them to add another quarterback this week, whether that's to to eventually be you know, a competitor, to, to another option for them, or if it's just to be a backup. Either way... Somebody else has to join the roster, I think, because I think we, I think we all kind of agree that we don't want to see too much more of PJ Walker as as instrumental as he was in in going two and one through that stretch. So, Jake, I'll, I'll kind of go back to you in terms of like, I mean, I think we all know that there's not like a silver bullet out there. If there was, they probably would have already reached for it. But is there something that you think they can do otherwise to move to a different quarterback that would improve their chances of winning, or do you think this is mostly about Dorian Thompson Robinson's development over the next seven weeks. Well, you you know, Flacco is one of the options out there. We've heard no other connection, so we're not right. even going to name anybody else. Right. The, the, they had the guy in for a workout. They're pretty serious about They have had no other. Mm-hmm. Here's the breadcrumbs, fellas. They had a conversation from the GM who said, we need to sign a third quarterback. They brought in one quarterback to work out. <laughs> he's going to get signed. I just think it's going to happen. Like, I would be really surprised if he's not signed early this week. That's just me like following the very obvious stuff in front of us here. Now, could they like figure somebody else? Sure, it's possible, but I don't really see a world in which they wouldn't sign Flacco. But like, okay, we have to, what you have to say is, yeah, you're right, Andrew. He's going to go into Denver. He's going to play. If he's bad, which is very possible, continually going forward. Again, today was extremely uneven. And, borderline bad very bad at times mm-hmm. like that's i understand why this is not a a blame dorian thompson robinson session that's not it he's a fifth round guy trying to find his way in the league there's th- this is like this is right so i thought today he had moments in the first half of really doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing but the second half as things compressed you could see the limitations so if you're going to go out and sign someone like Flacco, you're going to go out and do it for the reason of hey, this guy raises the basement. He can make some of the simple plays. He can make some of the simple opportunities come to light, and he can stand in and throw the football around a little bit. But he's not—he's not a solution. You're talking about silver bullet. You're right, man. Like he's not—he's not going to come in and put you in the realm of like winning the AFC now. But I understand the element he's got. He, he played with Gary Kubiak was his OC in 2014. He played with Rich Gangrello in Denver. He's been around. Mike LaFleur for a couple years in New York. He knows the the wide zone principled offense, especially playing a full starting season. I know it's a hell it's nine years ago, but being with Kubiak, the verbiage won't be unfamiliar. So I understand that again, the Browns defense gives them a chance to be in a lot of these games. They will, but the quarterback stuff has to get better guys. It has to get better or it's just not, it's not even that's the part that is the toughest going from what you saw Deshaun right. put together in the second half last week to this week. Like we wanted the fun part of winning these games going to seven and three is now telling yourself, talking yourself through how many games can they win the rest of the way? And that's they're they're trying to figure that out. 
So we'll see. So I, mean, so I guess my know. question to you, Jake, is which one do you feel at this point gives them a better chance of? I don't know how good Joe is anymore. I mean, last right. year he had okay. moments, but I'd have yeah. to go really dig in and watch it again yeah. to figure that out. I mean, we saw what he did in Cleveland. If you get that Joe Flacco, the one that came into Cleveland and threw four touchdowns, right. that's a great version. Now, like you and I talked about earlier this week, Joe was getting like they were dropping that SOB back like 40, 50 times a game. And I know Dorian had 43 today, but the goal can't be to do that with. I don't want Dorian doing that anymore if we can avoid it. It's sometimes yep. game situationally impossible because we we saw they couldn't run it today. But for the most part, like I don't want to put that burden on these quarterbacks. So they have to fight like crazy to not have that burden be thrown on their quarterbacks anymore. But yeah, if you if you give him 20 to 5 throws a game, I, I think that Joe's probably a little better player right now than Dorian, but you have to also analyze how much do we want to develop Dorian and not right. have him take a step back and right. not like the franchise now doesn't believe in you. Right. And that's, that's an element that you're weighing too. So I think the Browns are dancing a little bit of a fine line. You know, you, you sometimes wins cover up. We talk about this with PJ Walker wins, cover up bad quarterback playing, get you kind of attached to that guy. So they're balancing all of that, but but uh, at this point, you know, it, it, bare minimum, guys, he's going to start in Denver, and let's see where it goes. Yeah, right, Denver and L.A., and you know, who knows if Joe will even be ready, you know, for the for the next few. But but I I think there's a little bit of a balancing act where they're trying to figure out what do they really have. It's not even not even saying develop. I'm saying like, what do we have in Dorian? Like, do right. we have someone that can do these things? And they're trying to figure that trying to figure that out. And and I think that it's it's a little tricky trying to figure that out when you're seven and three and trying to make real run to the playoffs. And I think that's why Flacco's even brought in in the first place is because you're trying to raise the basement. I would say about DTR that he seems like to me in listening to him talk, uh, a confident enough kid that if you had to sit him down for somebody, I think he'd be all right developmentally. I don't think it's going to stunt his de development. If you had to sit him down this year, I think he's mentally, he understands the situation he's in. He's understanding what's expected of him. Um, I do want to see more of him, right? Because I do think that that's your better, if you're talking about ceiling, that's your better chance for ceiling is if he gets hot or something, right? I think, or figures it out over the next couple of weeks. That may be a pipe dream too, but I, I get that Flacco may have to be the answer at some point. But I would still like to see more DTR first, which is kind of where I go back to the beginning. I think they have to take it week to week. I think you have to just literally take it week to week and say, well, this week it's got to be DTR. And then if it's that bad, then it needs to be Flacco. But, I mean, Flacco had that one good game last year, but he was pretty much dog crap the rest of the year after that. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know. Well, like I, I said, I, I don't want to argue too much that. about I, Joe Flacco. I, yeah, I think yeah. it's 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 veteran quarterback. You know, I don't you call him Joe Flacco, call him whatever you want. And yeah. I mean, Jake, I understand your point that they're going to probably it's going to be him because of the breadcrumbs. But the question is really much to me. It's about what DTR can become. And I think yes, one thing that's worth remembering is that the Ravens by DVOA are the second best defense in the league. The Steelers are the seventh best defense in the league. I know the Broncos have been playing better, but they are still the 32nd best defense in the league by DVOA. So next week, even if the Broncos are playing better, should represent a much more um, conducive opportunity to learning on the field than these past two games for DTR, which were, I mean, today was about survival for him, yes. right? As, as Jake, as you said earlier, it was 
hit the top of your drop, get the ball out. If it's a check down every time, we don't mind that. And they won. So you cannot fault his performance today from that perspective because even the turnover, it was a little bit behind Cooper, hit him in the hands. I I think Amari would tell you he needs to catch that ball. And he doesn't. It goes up in the air. It becomes an interception. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't even really DTR's worst throw of the day. He didn't have a lot of turnover-worthy plays, is my point. Agreed. That sort of taking care of the ball mentality and then hitting a few opportunities against a defense that won't be as clamps on as the Steelers were could be a recipe. I'm, I mean, to, to, to the point that you just made, Brad, I'm looking forward to seeing him again with a yes. week, a week to review his mistakes, a week to learn, to be in practice. This will be an even easier, more even week because they won't be making the switch on Wednesday. He knows already today he's starting next Sunday, right? That's, that's a no doubter. So to me, I think the path is is clear for him, and then you'll see what you have after the Denver game in terms of who else is on the roster and what else they have to do. Go ahead, Jay. D- DTR, DTR is the answer. Everybody wants him to be the guy the rest totally. of the way. That's the outcome everyone wants. The only reason you sign a veteran, and you said it right, nameless face, whoever that veteran is, it right. happens to be Joe Flacco, is because if it gets too bad that mm-hmm. he just is so rattled that he can't complete throws. And there were moments today – where he couldn't do it. You could just see it. He couldn't handle the moment at times. He did make the best of the the end of the game, but you could see the mounting pressure as it wore on him and getting it done. Like he released all of that after the game. So maybe he's better going forward. We all want that. That's the outcome. He's a fifth rounder. He's a great value play. That's great. That's what everybody wants, but you have to have this in your back pocket that if he's, he can't do it, guys, he's either, broken a little and this could happen in the immediate or distant future you just need to have somebody to turn to that isn't pj walker sorry pj no yeah, disrespect. Yeah. Uh, that's that's, that's, a great the, that's, that's what they're doing so again dtr will start for the foreseeable future and get every opportunity and let's hope he capitalizes and becomes better and carries the browns to places that we didn't know they could go that that's the outcome we want or or nameless face comes in and and looks amazing right i mean there's a you know that would be you the only know. other thing, right? We don't know. know. That's what I'm yeah. saying. It's, yeah. you, you, you said it. Well, you said it best. But I think you just take it week to week. You evaluate him as you go, and if you got to yank yep. him, you got to yank him. Yeah, um, I, we're kind of flip flopping back and forth between offense and defense. But the, the next question that I have, and I'll go right back to you, Brad. We can make a pretty like reasonable argument at this point that Miles Garrett deserves MVP votes now, right? Yeah, I just wrote about it. Yeah, so he is right now, uh, odds-wise, he's... And I think, I don't know if they changed the MVP odds during, like, if they're actually fluid during the day, you know, because he takes the sack lead, right? Um, I think, uh, realistically, for him to win it, he would probably have to break... You can make the case for it, certainly. There's no superstar on offense. This defense is the strongest part of the team. He's the leader of the defense. He's leading the league in sacks. So, yes, you can make that case for it. Only two defensive players have ever won MVP ever in the history of the game. Um, But they did change the format for MVP voting, which did get a couple defensive guys mentioned last year, where not only do you just pick the winner now, but you pick like five players or whatever. Right, exactly. So changes kind of the voting a little bit um he's 180 to one now right now uh and he's that's seven that's good for 17th in the league uh 
Although I think that'll change by tomorrow sometime, right? I think yeah. he would move up with the narrative that he should be included in the conversation that uh, that some talking heads are bringing it up. So yeah. I think that naturally moves that uh, the odds on that. Um, but for him to actually win it, he probably needs to a score a touchdown or two down the yeah. stretch somehow. He probably needs to break the single season sack record sure. and he probably needs to uh they probably yeah. need to win the AFC North. That would be no. the three things. I, I think say. that's very well said. They they probably even maybe need to like not lose again <laughs> like go 14 yeah. and 3 or right. something like that without mm-hmm. a quarterback. Um I don't think he's going to win it. I there's people in comments explaining to me why that he's not going to win. I'm aware of that. The the point is that you can have a credible conversation about a defensive player winning the Absolutely. MVP and that almost never happens. He's in that Aaron Donald tier now where you have to remove him from the conversation where you're talking about other defensive players, you know, and, and the fact that this is, I'll just, I'm just going to jump up on a soapbox quick. Give me five seconds. I'll be right back off. The fact that every time they went to commercial break, we had to look at TJ Watt screaming at somebody and the guy barely made an impact on the game other than when DTR ran into him, like he was bumping into somebody getting off the elevator uh and 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 he's at the he's the 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 first guy you see when they come back from break he's the last guy you see when they're on their way out there has never been a more overhyped player in the history of the nfl than tj watt and i am so sick of it it makes me absolutely it just it's the worst and i i don't understand it other than the fact that he loves to yell and and i guess people think it looks cool when people yell in slow motion Mm -hmm. jake um well what Miles Garrett is doing, MVP, just your, you know, kind of your thoughts about, I mean, the defense is great overall, but like he's still absolutely the beating heart of this thing. Yeah, I mean, you guys covered it extremely well. He he will have to break the, it's going to have to be a ton of narratives, right? Yeah. The first is that they win the division. The second is that he breaks the sack record and they, they, that they end up being like a truly historic defense. I think that all has to be like they have to continue this historic stuff where we're like the Browns did what again like that kind of stuff all has to be in play and has to result in um like I said win the division um all of that stuff has to come together and and to your point it's just cool to have this conversation really because you know that that part of it is is the best out of all of it Mm -hmm. to get him into the to the conversation he belongs in yeah I mean I didn't think Watt was a real factor in the in the game today either. And um, uh, I, I, but the funny thing is, I'm sure I'm sure Pittsburgh people probably say the same thing about Miles Garrett. It's just a fun little rivalry between the two sides for sure uh, about all this stuff because TJ has played in a system that has benefited him uh, and the surrounding talent. Like this is the first season we've seen Miles Garrett play with truly surrounding talent. Like mm-hmm. you get opposite Bud Dupree and Cam Hayward for most of your career. You're probably going to run into a significant number of opportunities to make plays so i like i think tj is a whale of a player he's he's it's unbelievable no he sucks i can't he's really good man and like that family <laughs> produced two really good players it's nuts but no, I, know. I think miles has beat more disadvantages in sure. his career i mean totally. like he yeah. he's come into you know that that's something that people want to overlook and it's like that whole argument of who's better. It's like, do you know where TJ Watt arrived in the NFL, that defense he was on mm-hmm. right away. And mm-hmm. miles has had to like try to carry a defense his entire career. So uh, the, I got to say that the moment that was caught by somebody, Dan Moore might've been his name where miles picks up Kenny Pickett's helmet. That's laying on the ground and uh, just like holds it for a second. And then the Steelers offensive lineman comes up and like takes it from him. It was like <laughs> a really joking, funny moment of like, 
just self-awareness from everybody involved. And I, I, you know, Pat, Pat, everybody on the back for that. Cause I was just yeah. a real chuckle in the heat of a, a yeah. really big game. And yeah. uh, I think that Pittsburgh respects miles like crazy. It's pretty clear. The Browns respect TJ Watt like crazy. They could probably cut down on his time on TV. I would agree. It's a bit out of control. The leg kick thing. They love to do the slow-mo leg kick. Love it. Celebration. Looks That's really their cool. Thing. Looks really cool. And then he yells and shushes the crowd. But yeah, mm -hmm. I thought miles was clearly more impactful on today's football game. And yeah, and um, we'll see what the stats and pressures look like. I think Miles had five and a couple sacks. He's going to be right up there, still leading the NFL, I think. And yep, um, I think Daniel Hunter came in with the same number as him. So we'll see what he does tonight. But yeah, he's going to be he's going he's the front runner. He's the front runner because he's playing and leading a historic defense. That's it. That is not it. relying on turnovers to get yep. results. They are truly bottlenecking people in, in a it. unique way. So he deserves that award. That's just like you said the other day on the pod. Just stay healthy, man. Keep doing you, and it's right there waiting on you, the, the recognition that you deserve. And, and that would be uh, – someone could correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure the Browns have had a defensive player of the year uh, for for a significant amount of time, yeah, if ever. Yeah, possibly ever. Yeah. Um, so that would be, be – an award, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know when that came to, to reality, but I'll yeah. look at that while we were, when I shut up. But uh, really, really cool for him. Yes, yes. Uh, Brad, Jake uh, made me think of something else that I wanted to ask you both, and and maybe you know Jake will have a different moment that jumps to mind. But I'm just I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Do you have a a sort of favorite moment from today's game? You know, and obviously people shout, shout, sound off in chat too in terms of like because I'm going all the way back to pregame. They introduced Nick Chubb as you mentioned before. Jim Donovan comes back from a lengthy uh, you know health uh, battle with cancer. And he smashes a guitar and then goes and calls the game. Um, and then in the game itself, there's the the moment that, that Jake was talking about. There's the, the, the almost starting the game with a safety. Um, yeah. The, the Kareem hunt hurdle is another great one. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there, it's like any great Pittsburgh Cleveland game. There are a bunch of different moments that there's a half dozen. I haven't named that I'm sure are somebody's favorite. Right. So I'm just wondering if there's anything that like really jumped out to you that you felt like summed up today. Uh, yeah, to that point in the chat, you know, listening, not actually watching live, but listening to Jim Donovan's call was incredibly refreshing mm -hmm. to hear him call the game winning field goal. I would say that the final drive was probably my favorite part of the day just because, uh, it had been so painful to watch the offense for so long. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to do it again. Right? Like even, even in the first like I thought Elijah Moore had a really good day. I, we should say that. I thought mm -hmm. he had a nice day. He's had six for 60 and some clutch catches, uh, including that 15-yarder to start that drive. But I'll say that that final drive leading in down there was just kind of like, oh, my gosh, they're going to do it again. Then he hits Cooper on the slant and hits him right between the numbers. Uh, well, in, in the number, he has a single number, so hits him right on the two, a, gr a good throw. Uh, on a slant. So I thought he made a couple good throws down the stretch, and that was probably the highlight for me because it was like, oh, my God, they're going to do this again. Uh, yeah. And it felt reality at that point because, you know, even at the end, Kevin took his headset off. I thought it was interesting way mm -hmm. early, like, this thing's good. We know D-Hop's knocking it through. So, uh, I mean, how many – here's the, the thing. We were talking about this earlier, and I'll, I'll leave it with this. You guys mentioned Mayfield in 2020, but it was like after 2020, he could not make a game-ending drive to tie the game or win the game for the life of him. 
could yep. not do it. Yep. Uh, and he had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And with no you know, steady quarterback throughout the year, the Browns have done it when they've needed it virtually every game this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, kudos to Stefanski for that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I I'm I'm seeing a few people in in chat. Thanks for throwing a few of those up there. Um, I'm seeing a few people in chat saying uh, DTR kind of showing some emotion there at the end. That 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 really hit me because I think, you know, it it, it the 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 human face that it puts on it uh, is something that we always forget. And, you know, you get in the heat of the moment and you forget like what this is like for him. You know, what this has to feel like the the odds that he probably feels like he's facing and and rightfully so right the fact that they couldn't move the ball for so long uh you know and and we're finally able to 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 get it done and it's just the I, it's got to feel like a mixture of relief and elation and yeah. just exhaustion because you've been you know you've he's probably been sleeping 4 hours a night trying to prep for this thing and everything else and so yeah yeah that that to me was you know and Jake you kind of alluded to it earlier if that emotional catharsis of that allows him to really kind of push on and continue to develop and 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 kind of get to more of a place of confidence where he believes that he can do it because he has done it now he led a game-winning drive and that's not something many rookie fifth round picks can say as quarterbacks right those guys are lucky to to find the field in their first year he he led a game-winning drive against a divisional rival and a very good football team and that's you know that is an accomplishment, and he deserves to to kind of feel that. So to me, that was the moment of the game, and 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 I'm because I'm in my house just being like, yeah, I'm right there with you, bud. This was uh, brutal. It's <laughs> just a lot of emotion with it. So yeah, a I, lot of I great moments today. Go ahead. What's really cool, man, is that the moments the Browns won a football game two straight weeks. Baltimore Pittsburgh kick walk offs, right? Yes, never been done in franchise history. And somebody had just said Tim Miller, who's a great Twitter follow. Clay, he's not your typical three quarterback Brown season, which is really funny <laughs> way to put it. But That's today, motto, what yeah. made that is what made today special wasn't the win. It was seeing Nick Chubb come out of the tunnel, smiling like like really smiling in the midst of what's probably been the toughest month and a half of his life, like right up there because of how awful that injury was. Two surgeries. And he was smiling again, man. And like everybody loved seeing him getting to see not only Jim Donovan come out there, break the guitar, look happy. Like if you have known anybody who's been touched by cancer, it's miserable. And to like smile and be happy, get the call where he like there was a moment in the early game where he finally settled in and started to call the game. And he like kind of broke down because Mm -hmm. I'm sure he didn't imagine all of the things it would take to get back there because when that weight of what you're about to go through hits you like you saw it when he left and like to get that to come together for him to be healthy enough to do it again and god everyone misses him man like he is the voice of a region (laughs) and that's Mm -hmm. to to be the voice of a region when you've watched so much bad football that Mm -hmm. tells you how special you are at your job and then to see the moment he gets with kevin in the locker room afterward and like kevin just an a plus human being on top of all the other coaching elements uh, an a plus human being and he'll make it special for him and he did and i'd love to know what he said to him because i'm sure it was something special between the two of them but then watching dtr to your point andrew of crying on the sideline because he feels the weight of the world in a region that wants to win so badly and he could tell he was putting so much pressure on himself to try to win that game Mm -hmm. and he just wanted to please people so like to have all of that happen and like 
those are the moments that matter today for me, not the win, which is crazy to think about. They just won a huge game. They had to win with a third quarterback again, and they did that. And those moments around the game are what drove it, and the home fans showed up, and they they destroyed the communication. Pittsburgh was burning early timeouts. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get the right number of defenders on the field. So it goes to show you that when this organization wins, this area, this fan base is powerful, man. It's powerful. And um, those moments, I think you will, I'll never forget the look on Nick's face when he walked out of that. I'll never forget seeing Jim Donovan come back and, and like just the way his voice weakened when he realized like, I'm really calling this game again. And that was so cool, man. And like, also, they won. <laughs> they beat the Steelers. So I yeah. just uh, there's just a lot there, and it's like of all the moments, and there are a ton in the game you could pick. You could pick the reverse block. You could pick, you know, getting Kenny Pickett off the field on that third down to get the ball back with one. Two. There's a lot of great stuff, but like those surrounding moments today made it special, and they're in the midst of a special season. And we can nitpick and we can argue about little pieces of it, but like Brad has said, week to week, enjoy your football team because they're doing something. For 23 years, we talk about capturing the generation that they've lost. They're in the midst of doing that over a four-year stretch, a three-year stretch, excuse me, and they need it. My son is saying, go Browns. The Browns won again today, Dad? Like, yeah, man, it was really cool. Like, <laughs> that's the stuff. We need to capture that generation again, and the home fans delivered. The surrounding elements of the franchise are in place, and just kick your feet up and enjoy it uh, as it's happening because it's, it's really damn neat, man. There you go. Well I can't improve on that. That's really well said, Jake. Um, I, I really just appreciate, you know, to, to extend that appreciation, I appreciate obviously everybody that joined us tonight because as 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 Jake said, I think really well last week, it's so much fun to to get on here and celebrate a Browns win. The fact that they faced the, the Ravens in Baltimore and then the Steelers at home in back-to-back weeks and won them both, it, it's you, – you, you couldn't have expected it, especially with the adversity that they're facing as a team. So – uh, it's just it's such a thrill to get on and 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 chat with the two of you, but then to 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 chat with all of you, right? To see all of the comments and and uh, and chat coming through and everybody's enthusiasm. Uh, we we love to do this for the fans, and we're so thankful to have you here uh, joining us and and celebrating with us because that's what we're doing. Uh, we obviously will be back uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Jake's chalk talk will uh, kick off the week, uh, reviewing a big uh, Browns win, and then we've got. Uh, uh, Mike Keefe on, on Tuesday night with uh, the Dog House and um, the Garage Beers. Wednesday night will be OBR Weekly with Barry and Fred uh, to sort of transition into the second half of the week. And then, of course, your own Brad Ward with All Eyes on Cleveland uh, on Thursday night. We'll get you ready for another big one. They're on the road uh, going to Denver uh, next Sunday, and obviously we will be back here again next Sunday night uh, probably right around the the final whistle of that one, there'll be a little pause, and then we'll come on and hopefully we're celebrating another win because this seems to be the that's sort of a season, right? Where we can not that you're expecting a win, but that you you like I I've said before, you you go into every week feeling like this team is going to give it their all and and going to fight like hell to get the win if they can. So thank you again to everybody for joining us. Uh, we had a great time bringing you the show. We will see you again soon. Until then, go Browns. See you guys. Go Browns. <laughs>